five, four, three, two, two. one. And we're live. And we're live. And we're live. Alive. And alive. <laughs> Thankfully, the world feels like it's falling apart, but at least we're here talking about music. Who's out there putting the world to rights? Yeah. One yeah. episode at a time. <laughs> if only the world leaders listened to the record shepherds, there would be a lot less disputes. Maybe after we've done, uh, you know, our, our, our season's worth of uh, music advice, we'll get on to world politics and economics. Yeah, I think there's <laughs> nothing more the world needs other than our, you know, opinions about things. Other than, <laughs> uh, how was y'all's weekends? Uh, good. I had like a, a much needed like chill out weekend, you know, yeah. and like one of those ones I've just been running around. Um, I was in... LA for like 10 days like mm -hmm. um with uh with work and then um I got back and then I was running around here in New York and I was like oh man the wheels are gonna come up come off soon I just need to chill so I had a, like I had an awesome weekend where you one of those ones where you just do what you want to do yeah and yeah loved it at what point was like <laughs> traveling for work less cool for you um I mean I don't travel so much for work these days, mm -hmm. you know, so like I, it, it's not at the stage where it's like a real pain and like I've got friends out there and, um, you know, I, I like the people that I work with yeah. out there in, in, in the LA office. So, um, it, it, was, it had been a, it had been a while since I've been out there and it was actually great to go and catch up with everybody and, um, yeah, so like it's not such a problem, but I, I have had that in the past yeah. where it's just like, no, there's absolutely no glamour in traveling mm. for work. Yeah. Especially if you're not, if you're, you know, cattle class, you know, definitely. No TNE for you. No. Uh -huh. <laughs> Danny, how was your weekend? Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I also had a relaxed weekend, just getting back from a little bit of a. Cold. Okay. But feeling okay. better now. No monkey pox. No monkey pox. Awesome. <laughs> no f so far. <laughs> good. 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 What about you? What about you, Tim? What did you do? It was it was a good weekend. It was uh, relaxing as well. Um, you know, I'm at a time in my life where there's you know a transition uh, professionally, a good one, um, which is which is positive. Ah, yes. And yes. Um, you know, I think the benefit about working in the music industry is you you kind of get to see how these different um, companies do things, their different cultures, and you're gaining more experience. And there's nothing more than I like to do than share that experience because. Yeah, you know, it's just the music industry can be like any other industry. It gets tiring. You you get exhausted. But, you know, what motivates you is the artist that you're actually supporting. So I think as long as you can sort of hold on to that ethos, uh, it, it helps, you know, with the day to day. Um, yeah. So I kind of took this weekend to sort of enjoy that transition and um, just celebrate with some friends. Yeah, congrats. So yeah. Uh, reading between the lines there, uh, looks like Tim has landed himself a new job, still in the music industry, yes. thankfully. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much longer, but yes, yes. For now, for now, we're we're leveling leveling up, which is a good thing. Yeah, and uh, but we will get the benefit of that because mm -hmm. you're going to see a new company, see how they do things, and uh, you know, no doubt, learn from those experiences and bring them on to the couch to, the to couch. share with the flock yeah. of 
our audience at home. Convince, so, uh, convince all, all my coworkers to be on our podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the secondary benefit. Absolutely. Um, well, hey, I think we have an interesting episode today. I think today's episode is a real challenge for us. Um, honestly, I think it's the ability to take a sort of complex topic and simplify it in a way that that makes sense. Um, so forgive us if, you know, we we are attempting to do that, but it is for the greater good, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, let's let's start. It's kind of, it, it is like current affairs, I guess, yeah. at the minute, So, yeah, yeah. like, which is interesting. So um, I don't know if everyone heard about the, uh, the, the spat, the beef. Uh, the beef, the beef between Khalees and Beyonce. Yes, uh, it's been you know in the press and that, and um, you know everyone likes to, you know the press they like to cover yeah. stuff like this. It's juicy, but and, you know even before that, not that Beyonce needs my stamp of approval, but if you have not listened to Renaissance, I highly recommend you do. Um, what I, I mean, I love uh, Beyonce. Rene- yeah, Renaissance being Beyonce's latest long player. Right, right, and. I mean, I don't know. Beyonce is just one of those artists, you know, she is one of the defining artists of my generation, at least. And I don't know, it's just always nice when an artist of that caliber like comes out and it's something that's music that we can enjoy, especially in the summer. And I think, you know, with a lot of these different artists, whether in hip hop or R&B experimenting with dance music, I think it's really cool because we're starting to blend these genres now and, um, you know, getting influences from all over the place. So I, I highly recommend you go listen to it. Um, but this brings us to our beef with uh, Khalees and Beyonce. And, yeah. And if you don't know Khalees, you know, and there, there's been a lot of like speculation as to, you know, what rights people have and all these different things. And there's information out there. But at the end of the day, a lot of it is limited because we, you know, us three were not there when these deals were being struck, et cetera. But, you know, Khalees is a legendary artist, R&B, pop space, you know, super popular in the early 2000s. If you haven't listened to Khalees' catalog, you know, not shame on you because everyone likes different things. But I heavily recommend you go listen to that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the big, big controversy is that, you know, Beyonce releases his popular album, Renaissance, and uh, interpolates uh, one of Khalees' prior songs called Milkshake on uh, a song of Beyonce's energy. So Beyonce interpolates Milkshake on energy. And, you know, Khalees' main gripe, I I guess, with this is that she, Beyonce herself, did not get permission um, from Khalees personally to to you to interpolate this song on energy. Yeah, that's a good synopsis of, like, the the base facts. But as you alluded to a little bit earlier, there's there's actually quite a lot to unpack here, you know, about... um, the facts, the laws and the customs surrounding uh, this type of thing. And then, you know, a good place to start is, uh, you know, what the hell isn't interpolation anyway? Yeah. <laughs> so, And how does that differ from like a sample, for example? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think like that for the for for any of the listeners and viewers who are not familiar with an interpolation, essentially it's a bit like a, a sample, right? Uh, but with a sample, you're typically talking about taking a piece of the actual record um, and using that in your own record, let's say. Mm-hmm. But obviously, when you take a sample of the record, you are also lifting 
the song, that specific section of the track. Okay, maybe it's like a, a 10 minute uh, hook or something like this. So you're actually sampling the master, and we've talked about on this podcast before, there are two sets of copyrights. So you're, you're, you're sampling the, uh, that section of the actual sound recording, right? and you're sampling that section of the song. Im- yeah, the song embodied in the original sound recording. So that's what we're talking about traditionally in sampling. Right. And then when it comes to like getting samples or interpolations, you have to go to that uh, recording entity and that publishing entity in order to clear that sample for your for your song or for your yeah yeah exactly so um you have to go to you have to go for clearance or like permission get the permission and uh, and the legal clearance of the let's call it the rights holders mm-hmm. of t- of those two separate copyrights so simplify it, a yeah. lot of the time um when you're talking about the sound recording, you're going to be going to the original record label mm-hmm. that owns the uh, the original sound recording, and you'll be going to the songwriter or, more often than not, the publisher right. of uh, the original uh, who own the rights to the original song. So you do have to go and get those things cleared. But just to clarify, that's sampling. What we're specifically talking about in this instance is interpolation. And that's the easiest way to think about it is it's only the element of the song that has been used in this instance. They haven't actually taken the original sound recording, a clip from the song, the, the sound, the original sound recording. So, you know, it, that that's um, it is a distinction, but and um, for the purposes of this example, it actually helps things because it keeps it kind of easy. There's only one uh, set of rights being cleared, and that's the the right to the uh, original. Uh, well, well, we'll call it the Khalees song, right? Milkshake. But as we go in to find out, is it a Khalees song? Right. Well, yeah. and then, but just based off of that, a quick question. So, like with the interpolation, if you're just um, exploiting the use of the song does that manifest in like lyrics yeah lyrics typically but it could be other things like melody as well but yeah i think maybe in this and you know hearing the energy i don't the interpolation wasn't that clear to me and then come to find out beyonce will did actually in fact take it out of the song but that just to clarify like that can manifest in like either a melody or a lyric but in other things as well yeah exactly you know you could uh because you could actually go and um recreate mm-hmm. the original like your own sound recording right uh, so you could play it yourself yeah, so yeah. you could say i think that actually happened on um uh, like a rapper's delight or something mm-hmm. there was like um yeah a, like a it would have been a sample but they wouldn't, didn't want to clear like the original kind of like nile rogers version right. or whatever so they go and play it themselves mm-hmm. and re-record that so they're not using the original recording but nevertheless they are using the composition so as a person like trying to make uh, this song using a sample or an interpolation, is there anything, anything that you are giving up um, when it comes to like the money that you're making off of this song that you want to release? Yeah, so you have to, um, that's part of the clearance process. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to someone for permission, you have to go and say like, hey, this is what I've done. This is what I like I want to do. Uh, this is what it sounds like and you know or here's the the composition like the the sort of like let's say the the amalgamated mm-hmm. new composition including the bit that you've interpreted 
and then it's uh yeah it's a negotiation to, to, to clear it so you, you know the original rights holder let's say it's the um the publisher who mm. owns the original composition the original song they might say oh that's like a super hot like composition like like that's one of our biggest performers like and money makers of our entire mm. uh, song catalog and they'll say they might charge a lot of money so it might only be let's say I'm going to make this up now, but let's say it's like a, a 10 second interpolation. Like, right. like don't want to say interpolation the whole way through this. So I'm going to use sample yeah. and interpretation yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of like interchangeably now, but it is important to know that what we're talking about today is specifically uh, an interpolation of the song, a sample mm. of the song. But yeah, if you've taken like 10 seconds and put that at the start of, the, of like a, a three minute song, you might say, well, you know, you've only used a tiny bit. Like what do you, maybe give you five percent right ten percent of the entire song but they might say no 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 <laughs> that song that's a biggie everyone knows that like right. you know we're we actually do you know what if you want to use that you're gonna we want 80 percent 75 percent of the entire song yeah and I'll, I'll say working um at least now in my career working primarily with a lot of hip-hop acts that use samples that tends to be the case where the original rights holder is getting the lion's share of of that song if you actually want to use that sample because oftentimes if you know the samples are, are sort of what makes those songs unique rather than you know going to like an original uh you know well i guess there is a producer actually making the beat itself but the sample is the sort of thing that's highlighting the record yeah, yeah. totally and it can you know it, it can be the thing that just like it makes the record without it mm -hmm. there is no record you know so, um, understandably, yeah, these rights holders of these classic, uh, well, a lot of the time they're sort of like classic songs that have been hits in a previous era, et cetera. Okay. And they're, uh, yeah, they're able to command decent percentages and, and just to sort of, ca you know, what, what do we mean by that? We're talking, we've talked of in previous episodes, when you all sit down to write a song, whatever, you know, you got to agree like who wrote what, what percentages of it like uh do we own and because that's important when it comes to actually generating money off the uh exploitation of the song right you know who gets what in terms of the dollar amount the the, the money in your pocket and it's an, i think it's important to note as well that the rights holders can say no to, to absolutely you know if let's say you want to your song is about uh encouraging people to smoke cigarettes or something like that you know whatever you know, maybe it's not that extreme, but it's like maybe it's about something or even in the style of something that the original rights holder is just not about or they're like super precious with their songs and they don't want it to be used for any reason. Um, I think the the example that comes to mind is like, uh, and I don't know too much about this one, but it's the Nicki Minaj, Tracy Chapman um, controversy that happened a couple of years ago where I, mm -hmm. I'm not even sure Nicki went to actually get that sample cleared or she tried to and, and Tracy said no. Yeah. Um, so it's it's important to know that like the original rights holders can in fact say no to your request for that license to use that song. Totally, and you know, uh, that's almost like uh, that might be like a sort of like a moral type point. And these actually mm -hmm. do get written into contracts, mm -hmm. by the way. Sometimes, whenever a publisher is acquiring um, a writer's song writing catalog, or they're you know doing a publishing deal or whatever. Some of the companies will give the songwriter approvals over certain uses, right. uh, and like sampling uh, interpolation is typically one of them. 
but uh, certainly what you see uh, if they're not even if they're not willing to give that necessarily there'll be certain categories carved out and a lot of the time it's yeah, anything to do with like um, you know political messages or you know like uh, right. alcohol or like cigarettes when it comes to like that's more in the synchronization license right. world. But anyway, but there's that type of like sort of like there's a moral um, exception yeah. where, you know, you, a songwriter might uh, have like not be willing to, to grant someone a particular sampling license. But then the other side of it, and probably more often than not, is just because they can't agree the the economics of it. Right. You know, you're saying you're only willing to give me 20%. I think my bit of the song is going to add 80% to the value, even though it's only taken up 10 yeah. seconds. And if we can't agree, that's just free market economics. There's no deal. You walk away. Yeah. And then, you know, the flip side of that too is like, maybe if you are a rights holder and you are an artist, like as you are a rights holder as an artist as well, and, you know, maybe your footprint in, t in the music industry isn't as big as it once was, but a huge artist would like to sample or interpolate your song that could definitely affect your decision in terms of how much you are choosing to charge whatever entity to to you know get that license and exploit that that sample and it also depends on you know personal relationships at the end of the day too like if you have a relationship and you know you are really trying to get this record out and you really need it cleared then you know calling those rights holders that you have a relationship with can help get that done and help maybe favor whatever deal is needed to get it done. Yeah, totally. And it like it is just a you know it is just a negotiation and it is just like economics at the end of the day. And yeah. like often, um, you know, you do just have to try to get it done. And as you say, like the original rights holder of, or the the rights holder of the original underlying composition that is being sampled is in a commanding position. But it but you know it depends. Yeah, yeah. if you say if you've got like Beyonce wanting to sample your record and you know you think about or sample your your song and uh -huh. um you think about the potential benefit because you know right everyone does that when you find out i like oh that was a sample and then you want to go back and exactly. you listen to the original exactly. song and then you get into that and you know it's it can be you might get into that artist who's written more of their songs and then all of a sudden the publishers making a little bit of money to say a bit of a spike in their in their revenue streams for that songwriter yeah and i find it it's especially as like a music nerd it's almost like a new music can serve as like an educational platform for catalog as well and you know as uh especially artists back in the day in the 60s and 70s where you know most of their tunes that were successful were covers as sort of like somebody who was into music you you took the time to see oh yeah who wrote this who wrote that and it just kind of when when you're getting into an artist it just sort of helps that that like fandom of you know whatever that song is so yeah mm -hmm. it could have a bunch of benefits yeah but, but i think yeah no well no like so like that's uh that's a deep dive already mm -hmm. on you know sort of like uh that sampling slash interpolation world inside yeah. of the the music industry but um it's an important dive because i think we've we've established the foundation to then now go into what we're talking about now which is the Khalees and Beyonce saga saga <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. I have a question for um, you guys you probably know the answer of this did she write the song well let's, right, let, yeah, let, let's, let's go let's, into that let's go into that because yeah. uh, we need to we need to set the stage now to see like you know about um, saga. hopefully it's not a saga hopefully it's just a you know 
a little spat and they, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they can solve it out. Because so, so, as you say, Beyonce has now actually removed that interpreta- interpretation yeah. from, from the, the song. And it's amazing that you can do that now on uh, with these streaming services. Yeah. Like uh, It's just a swap. And, you know, uh, it's, it's easier said than done. It's a lot of headaches for a lot of people behind the scenes. Um, but it can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, imagine... You are uh, an up-and-coming R&B artist. You are, you know, you've been to music schools. You can play multiple instruments, and you're pretty well established um, in terms of like your, you know, your rise. Mm -hmm. Um, Your friend or manager introduces you to arguably the biggest production entity of the, you know, late '90s, early 2000s, which is the Neptunes. And yeah, and for for those of you who don't know the Neptunes, uh, that is and uh, was the production company of Pharrell Williams and, and Chad Hugo. Chad Hugo. Yeah, they were you know they released their own albums. They produced for a plethora of artists from like Busta Rhymes to Britney Spears to Jay Z, etc. Essentially, all the big names of, in music. They they had a, a big hand in producing some of their most successful records. So, you know, you're Khalees, you're introduced to the Neptunes, and just by, you know, researching the story of how this sort of all happened and came to be, I, I can sort of read between the lines when it comes to a lot of these just experience working in the music industry. When you have hands in the pot, but those hands are actually helping your career, that's when things sort of get a little complicated. So, you know, let's say you have a manager, they introduce you to this production duo, the production duo then says, we're going to catapult your career, we're going to produce and write a lot of your records and we're going to get you all the deals that you need to be successful. You say, okay, sounds Mm -hmm. great. Where do I sign? Eventually that takes you to signing a deal with, you know, a major label in this uh, particular instance, it's uh, Virgin, which is owned by universal music. Mm -hmm. Um, And they get to work, you know, they start recording, producing your debut album. Mm -hmm. And, at some point, you have to review some paperwork. You have to review paperwork with your publisher. You have to review paperwork with your record deal. And you probably, there's probably some paperwork involved with this production company that's doing all of these awesome things for you. 100%. There certainly should be. Yeah. And in that time when you're a young artist and, you know, and we, this conversation maybe shouldn't even turn into like, you know, who, you know, it is, the, I think there is definitely a right and wrong, but you know, I, I think it's about perspective as well. So like mm-hmm. I can see a young artist having all of this paperwork in front of them and these deals in front of them and being like, I don't really know what's going on, but I'm going to sign on this dotted line because I am about to be a superstar and I'm working with some big time producers. So at some point, Khalees is informed that when it comes to the songwriting splits or the publishing splits, of her of her songs because of these deals that she has and the opportunities that the Neptunes are are giving her they're going to take 66% 66.6 etc of her songs and she'll get an even 33% split yeah so between Pharrell Chad and Kalis uh, that was going to work out is 33 like a third each a third, a third each, each right right, right. So that's a, that's what she claim, that that's what she, claims that she was she was told. At some point down the line, that's what she claims that she was told. Mm-hmm. And then come to find out, you know, retrospectively years later, she actually does not have any rights 
to to these songs any any publishing rights to these songs which is an important clarification yeah so no songwriting credit on the actual song itself obviously she'll be making uh royalties on the the, the sound recording side through her uh you know the, the record deal or the production right. deal etc but no money from the actual exploitation of the song itself right now here's where it gets tricky because when it comes to talking about who wrote what song or who's in a room, we will never know those details because we weren't in those rooms and we don't know what those deals look like. However, there are plenty of examples in the music industry where, you know, let's say, let's say, you know, I am this production company. I'm helping you out with everything. You can't afford to pay me what my rate is right now because I charge a million dollars a song. So... In turn, I'm going to take your publishing. <laughs> wow. You know, because that, and I can justify that because the deals that I'm bringing you, you know, you're going to get wealthy off of XYZ. Yeah. You know, whether you actually contribute to these songs or not may be irrelevant because of this prior agreement that we have. So that's one, that's one scenario. Yeah, that's like that's like that's like an extreme version of a what's called a 360 deal. A lot right. of people might have like heard of those, but mm -hmm. um, I mean that is that is extreme. But anyway, it paints the picture. Right, and that's that could be one scenario. Another scenario is, in fact, the songs in this catalog. You actually may not have contributed to the songwriting to. And, you know, these producers got with other songwriters, created, created these songs for you, for you to record and then participate on the, you know, the, the master side of things. But in fact, you did not actually participate making the song itself. No matter how much you think you killed your vocals on that track or, you know, what you contributed to it, the actual songwriting portion of this, you did not participate in. Therefore, you don't get, you know, rights to that, to that, to that part. Yeah, and that that would be that that sort of assessment there is actually the reality of how it is meant to work, right? Mm -hmm. Is it like the the actual recording process and uh, the songwriting process are, you know, as a law sees it, like two different processes, and that's why you have songwriters which you know have um, affiliated with different bodies and. Um, unions etc and then you've right. got the uh the actual performers right. and, and the recording artists who are sometimes seen as a uh, you know a different body of people like even right. though of course you can have uh it can be the same you can be a singer songwriter whatever but right. there are very much different rights and uh you know it, it's in recognition of like the fact that there are different roles there and the right. value being contributed by performers let's say on the record is not really um, necessarily anything to do with the actual songwriting side. So, right. um, yeah, that and that's a scenario. And I think, but you know, for me, when I look at the narrative of Kalisa's career, what sort of supports option A for me is sort of like what you know what happens after her deal, right? So, she records um, Kaleidoscope, her first album. Mm -hmm. um, which is moderately successful, has amazing bangers on there. Uh, sh you know, per her, and I see this happen with a lot of artists because at the end of the day, you could be signed to a label, but 
there needs to be people in the building that can advocate for your career. Yeah. So per absolutely. Yeah. So you know, per Kalisa's situation, you know, she says that the people at the record label that were working on her first album got fired. Yeah, or yeah, they got or fired or they laid left off, or whatever. Laid like, off. There's natural churn just within any company. Like right. yeah, these people like they're there one minute, the next thing they move on for whatever reason. Might be fired, might be have taken another job somewhere else. Right, laid but off. Any any quite common that happens. Yeah, but the core team that was the advocate for Khalees at Virgin was no longer there. New people come in. They don't really understand, uh, you know, the vision of Khalees in her career. They released a second album, but, you know, maybe for whatever reason it doesn't do well because maybe they didn't put as much effort into it or just commercially people weren't looking for that album at the time. Mm -hmm. After that second album underperforms, she gets dropped from that label. Her third album, which is in fact the album that the song in question is on Milkshake, um, is released through the Neptunes' record label, uh, yeah, they had a JV at the time with Arista, wasn't it? I, I was a, I think for this specific deal, it was with Arista, but I think they they had a couple of joint venture deals with with other labels. Right. Okay. Um, but I believe with this one, it was it was uh, with Arista and the Star Trek Entertainment. Yeah. So when I say you know when I brought that version A of like the production deal, you know it seems like they have stuck around with Khalees at least for her first three albums and even after she gets dropped from her initial label. So, yeah. you know, and then even reading, so they, you know, at least she claims or, well, this is a fact that there were other producers on, on her third album other than the Neptunes. However, they still participate. And I believe most of the publishing off of that album. So that kind of leads to the narrative. Okay. They, they have this, maybe and they have a contract. I think mm -hmm. there's a contract, you know, and, and again, we, we we're speculating a bit because we weren't in the rooms, but I think by and large we can we can assume that, um, and they own the publishing rights for this song Milkshake. Mm -hmm. So fast forward twenty years, fifteen years, Beyonce wants to put out Renaissance, and she and wants to interpolate mm -hmm. Milkshake on her song Energy. Yeah. So her label clears that song with the rights holders of Milkshake. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that, you know, from a, a legal perspective in mm -hmm. terms of all the rights and everything they do, they did everything that is required and everything that is needed to do. So they didn't cut corners, they didn't use anything without the, 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 the I'm going to say the requisite permissions, but certainly from a legal perspective, the right. requisite permissions. But that's not Khalees' gripe, was it? No, I th her gripe was not that I guess there was anything illegal that was done to obtain um, the the rights to use that record. I think it was more of a moral argument. Yeah, she felt that like she felt that there was like irrespective of you know what the law is and what the rights are, the fact that she alleges that no one or actually she wanted Beyonce to pick up the phone and say, hey, just to give you a heads up. You know, um, we're going to use that song "Milkshake" on my new record. We're going to like sample it effectively, right. and almost like just a bit of a. I think she was saying that like there was a courtesy that was overlooked there, right? And then it gets you on to like, is that you know? Some people were saying like, is that something that happens in the music industry? You know, and then well, uh, 
I think there's there's a fine line here because I think, you know, a part of her argument is that like artists like Beyonce and Pharrell Williams, et cetera, preach, you know, independent artistry. They speak against the predatory nature of the music industry. And in her eyes, they're not practicing what they preach because she was in a deal that she feels is unfair and predatory. And they are, you know, using what she believes is her song, even though by law, it's not her song and exploiting that without yeah. involving her in the process. Yeah, that's that's actually the, this is where it comes like, you know, you get into the weeds and you think like, has Khalees got a leg to stand on here? Mm. But it's, it, you've got to put it against the context of everything we've just talked about. And right. that probably comes, that probably gives you, you know, like shines a bit of a light on why she felt a sort of like, uh, uh, jilted or whatever like right. angry as she did because um when you actually look at what you know beyonce and the record label did they did clear the go they went through the right paths etc and they cleared it as they should do but Cleese's point was like you should have told me you should have like uh, given me a heads up should have given me a call like just let me know a c- courtesy call would have done you know whatever just to to sort of like so we're we're cool sort of thing but it was more like a slight the fact that, you know, what you use my song, the first I hear it is like actually hearing it on the record and that's right. sort of like disrespectful. But the crazy thing is mm-hmm. that you got to remember is that like, you know, forget about the sort of background there of whether she was on the song or what she's not, but the record shows, and I don't, I mean the record as in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of records right. planted around here, but like, you know, the, the time yeah, will show, machine. time will show or the record books show uh, according to the publishing credits that Khalees is not on that song. She is not one of the owners or the rights holders, the stakeholder in the actual song. Sure, she performs it on the record, but if you look at the songwriting credits, right. it's the Neptunes, it's Pharrell and Chad and are I think, on that song. Yeah. So, so then you're kind of like, well, hang on a second. From Beyonce's perspective, you're getting angry about me not asking you for permission to use the song when it turns out you don't actually own the song. And I think to, to put an emphasis on that, I think in our research, we found out that that song in fact was shopped around to other artists mm-hmm. who said no to it. And then it landed with Khalees. Yeah. So from, from Beyonce's perspective, like you can see how like, wow, this is like a little rich, like I'm copying this flack from someone saying, you know, that I used the actual song, didn't use the recording, didn't use your vocal or anything like that, right. but I used the song and you're saying that you're mad because I should have reached out to you to get like permission. Turns out you don't even own the song. However, mm-hmm. the big thing is that you got to put that against the context of where Khalees has been coming from all these years. She feels that she, right. and, you, and you know, like we, we wouldn't go as far as to make, um, you know, to take a side in this. This is just relaying the facts. Right. But she has maintained all this, all these years that somehow she was tricked uh, or, you know, duped out of what should rightfully have been hers on the publishing side of things. Right. And, you know, I think even in this conversation, it does not take away from Khalees's artistry nor does it take away with her accomplishments and her career. Um, it's just like you were saying, just talking about the facts of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I think is I think is important to point out. Um, what I think is the genius of Beyonce's pettiness <laughs> is that, like, I because in my 
perspective, I think Khalees was looking for a bit more than maybe just the acknowledgement. I think there was maybe in her mind, she believed that because of the wrongdoing that is perceived in her past, that there was some sort of extra compensation or platform that Beyonce could have provided her. Um, even though she does not own the publishing for this song, there's something that Beyonce could have done to reach her hand out to, you know, give Khalees a spotlight or give Khalees extra compensation. And I, I would predict maybe that's what she was looking for rather than just like a, a phone call. Yeah, yeah. Quite, maybe, you know. Quite possibly, I guess, like, without, like, I haven't read that anywhere, but, right. I mean, yeah, it's quite possible to say, like, you know, give me a cut of this, like, composition or whatever. And but. I, yeah, and I think with, when I, coming back to, like, Beyonce's side of things, it's funny because instead of maybe um, conforming to that want and picking up the phone, she just takes the interpolation off of the record <laughs> entirely. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, to quite frankly, doesn't have, like, the biggest impact on the sound of the of the of the song itself. That's interesting, actually, when you think about it, because the my, the first thing I thought of when I heard that was like, oh, that's just like the world we live in. Like, mm -hmm. you know, these major labels like are so reluctant to get into any sort of like copyright right. infringement territory or anything like that. And it's like, um, you know, but then I thought. No, because, you know, they, they actually went through the right channels and right. they like, you know, they, they cleared it. It's yeah. been, it's been legally cleared. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So then it's like, that is like a little bit of a slight, even more, yeah. that didn't even occur to me. No, it's like, yeah, no, oh, I, I'll just take it off, done. Yeah. I think people are sort of looking at that as like, this is a win maybe for Khalees because Beyonce is doing the right thing. But I think what maybe Khalees wanted, and again, we're speculating, but it's like she wanted more participation in the narrative of this new Beyonce album. And for it to be maybe a, a bigger conversation about artists and, and bad deals and, you know, how maybe she's been wronged and sort of bring back Khalees to the forefront. But instead, Beyonce's like, okay, just take the song off. No big yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah, we'll just take it out, done. You yeah. know, like, yeah. Okay, yeah, I didn't think about it like that, but yeah, that's fair. fair. <laughs> yeah. There's a point there. Or, you know, you could be right that they just didn't want the controversy and just to nip it in the bud. They just took anything that would be considered problematic off of the album. Yeah, um, but yeah. I don't know. It's it, I, for me, just it kind of feels like the first thing. Yeah, maybe. So, but like, so those are the those are the facts, and those are how you know the spat came about, mm -hmm. and you know the actual, um, you know the the actual nuance to it. There, I guess, is that you know what Khalees is actually mad about right. is like this point where that like, you should have picked up the phone. Should have cleared it with me. I know I don't care if you cleared it all legally, but there was some sort of like moral obligation, sort of like woman to woman, artist to artist, to right. do that to pick up the phone. And then, um, yeah, like it turns out that she actually, you know, as the record book show, doesn't actually have any ownership or stake in right. the, in the actual song. So that those are the facts, but it goes back to you know what are the to that case study, like in terms of the the actual learning, you know, from, um, uh, you know, what Khalees could have done better or, you know, the situation she right. found herself on. I think like it is quite common for that stuff to, like to happen like back, back in the day. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we're living in a world now where like, we're looking we're back on it. We have more information now, you yeah. know? So I think it's easy because of that. We can look back and say, Oh, you should have done X, Y, Z. Um, but maybe what you're alluding to is there, there are certain things she could have done maybe to protect herself so that we didn't, we don't get to this place. Right. Yeah. And that is, and like, let's explore those a little bit, but uh -huh. it's all to say that like, 
now like we're living in the information age right you know and like back then that was 2003 like the internet was not like it was or what it is now you know right. it, it was a different kettle of fish and um you know right now i feel there's so much more information about how you should and should not do things and you've got like youtube as we've talked about like if you want to learn anything it's on youtube and right. now we've got like platforms like the good old Record Shepherds yeah. podcast here. If Khalees but had the Record Shepherds podcast back in 2003, maybe we could have we we avoided it. She could have followed the guidance of the Shepherds. But I think some of that guidance and some of that protection she made could have used is like, um, and again, without knowing what exactly happened, but something I've seen before is like, however many entities there are in a deal, everybody should have their own separate legal representation. That way, Absolutely. You, that way you avoid any sort of conflict of interest. So like yeah. if your production company is using the same lawyer as your record label, to me, that would be a red flag, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a like conflict of interest right, right. there. And, um, but I, and, and, you know, I'd go one step further. Mm -hmm. It's important that you have your own legal representation. It's important that that legal representation is actually familiar with the music mm. and entertainment space. Yeah. Like, don't just use, you know, your your brother who's a, you know, a property lawyer or something like that. And, right. you know, so, look, I, I've said this before, when it comes to contracts and like sort of like what sometimes I refer to like baby contracts, etc. Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have to go out and hire an attorney and incur a lot of attorney's fees, etc. Um, but when it comes to deals that are going to have like a profound impact on your career, signing a production deal with anybody mm -hmm. is going to have that, that. That's one of those deals. You don't want to get screwed out of your early music and your early songwriting and things like that. Anything where it's going to actually have a like a meaningful impact on your career or even a portion of your career. Right. Absolutely. You should be going to like a music and entertainment attorney and yeah. uh, and they can work something out. You know, they're not all. Their fees will, will um, you know, obviously you've got the partners um, and, you know, you hear sometimes that it's the fees that lawyers are earning and like that, those are the types of fees that make the headline on those big deals. But right. there's also very skilled, very accomplished junior attorneys Associates. that will be charged out, yeah, yeah. at a, a much lesser rate. And even on top of that, that, you know, they'll, they can work something out with artists that they're going to take artists on. Sometimes they'll do it knowing that they're not going to be, you know, actually paid their full rate until like a certain point in that right. artist's career. Mm -hmm. So, um, good point. Yeah, absolutely. You'll hear us say this again and again, but when you're talking about entering into, or you're thinking about entering into contracts that are going to have some sort of impact on a portion of your career, absolutely take it to a uh, qualified music and entertainment attorney. For Yeah, and that's for contracts and any deals. And then, you know, on the songwriting side, you know, what are some things that maybe you could do to protect yourself or, you know? Yeah, well, we had uh, Emi Horikawa in here um, on a previous episode who works as a publishing A&R for a major publisher. And one of her tips was always like, you know, uh, take notes after mm -hmm. a session. She was saying she encourages all her songwriting clients to do that. Like take, take notes after a session because you could be in that room and, you know, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, like a blow by blow account of mm -hmm. like what happened in the songwriting session, but just, you know, a sort of rough 
reminder, even for yourself, as to what happens. Because a lot of the time, these songs don't get finished right. until you know a good bit later, and then they don't get cut on the records until you know like some time after that. So you know, like I think it's super important just to be clear and upfront. That's another thing we talk about constantly. But you know, like have these com- conversations and like sort of um you know asking people up front you know what you know their their practices are do they send emails after the recession or whatever but um but i'd actually love to ask uh danian mm-hmm. who we have in the studio today because he is a songwriter by profession as a you know songwriter and producer and i'd love to see you know, to ask him, like, yeah, what do you, what do you do, Danny, when it comes to um, sessions. sessions and splits and things like that? Well, it always depends um, who you're working with. Um, depends on the tier of artists that you're working with. But if you're working with um, with some writers that are established and and let's say they're already like uh, signed to a major publisher, and you're working with other writers that are writing songs for for these big companies you got to make sure you have a conversation right before you start the session on how things are going to be split because it's like, it's a it's good for, for you, especially for up and coming singers and I mean, songwriters and producers to, to have that conversation ahead of time. Because when you're in the room creating with other people, usually you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen. But if we all agree that we're going to create something and we're going to make a new song and we're going to make something happen, it's good to uh, agree in advance that whatever we create is going to be split equally. Yeah. Or in whichever is the best. Yeah, that might that participation might. for everybody, you know, and that's a lot. A lot of a lot of companies. I've heard that a lot of people in Nashville do this practice and they kind of like come to an understanding that, okay, if we're going to work together on a song, let's, let's try to uh, split it evenly. But Mm. if that's not the case, if you don't have that conversation, which also happens, then what you can do is you can at least, um, like, like Amy said, make some notes about what happened on that session and maybe send an email Mm -hmm. to everybody involved with their names on it. And maybe an an MP3 of the song or like a, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever demo you made that day. To remind everybody, hey, this there was four people in this room and we all made this song. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say like you know it is interesting and probably when you are in entering the world of like major artists and um, you know songwriting sessions for these type of people, there there probably is some sort of expectation that can be hammered out right at the start. But it does, I'm sure, it comes as surprising to a lot of listeners and viewers here that like what you're gonna you're going to work out at the start before you go in right. what the splits are. It seems very unnatural. Like, yeah. It's like, how do, how do we know that we don't go in there and like two of those four, right? 90% of the, you know, that's probably an extreme example, but you know, like, yeah, it's, you know, like a lot of people I think would have like a sort of expectation of like, Oh, well, I, I, I came up with like half that song by myself. Cause I did the verse and the chorus and quite yeah. a bit of the lyrics and yeah. it's not necessarily, going to be a, an even split. Yeah, it's definitely not a, it's definitely not a set rule. But it's there's, up to interpretation too. Yeah, and there's also there's yeah. also different different scenarios and different cases. Yeah. I mean, there's cases where you work with a I'm going to give you another example. 
because from my own experience, I I work with a major artist and I was with, working with other songwriters from a major um, publisher. Mm -hmm. And usually we do this with the other writers because I've worked with them before. It's like, okay, we're going to split evenly. But in this case, the artist wrote most of the song. And obviously when, when the splits were to be defined and signed and everything, well, he made sure he claimed a major portion of that, of that song. And then eventually the negotiation part comes in, you know, your representation also does a part to like, deal with the whatever is the going to be the final split right. but my recommendation is just for other for for writers when they go into a room try to touch the subject try to make sure that that everybody is at least on the same page in terms of like how splits are going to be done and how how this part is going to be taken care of because a lot of case a lot of cases happens when writers or producers especially when they're not very experienced they go into rooms and they make something and they just walk away not knowing what's going to happen and then eventually somebody calls them it's like okay you get two percent right yeah but yeah get it get it done up front as early as you can yeah so. but i think another interesting thing that you said in that was it depends on the level of artist slash songwriter that you're working with And I think that is super important too, because often in the industry, when these entities are negotiating these deals and you are not, you, you may be, you know, compensating this producer slash songwriter for what they can actually do on their song, but equally you are paying for their cosign on you as an artist, right? Mm -hmm. So if like I hire, you know, the biggest electronic DJ to remix this record, you know, I'm paying for that remix, but also it's, it's a bit of a marketing tool as well. When I can say Avicii, you know, remix, yeah. remix this yeah. single or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And then you give them however much publishing to, to compensate them for that or whatever fee that they require up front. Yeah. 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 That's a fair point. Yeah. yeah. That, that happens as well. Um, yeah. One thing I wanted to touch on before we closed out, um, because I, you know, I feel like we, we need to set the record straight on this and in the whole publishing conversation, um, because I feel like this is very applicable to a lot of listeners who may be active on TikTok or YouTube. Um, and they're doing like covers of, of these songs. So like, you know, as an example, if Beyonce just wanted to do a straight up cover of milkshake, you know, and upload it to YouTube, would she need to get clearance from the rights holders to do that? Yeah, that's a good point. And it's like one of the differences to be aware of when it comes to uh, doing full cover versions mm -hmm. and then doing, you know, sampling another song or a track. Um, and the answer is that y you do need a license. However, under certainly in the United States, under, under most copyright uh jurisdictions and most jurisdictions who respect the sort of uh, copyright laws that we operate within once a track once a song has actually been printed once and they call that like granting like the first mechanical license right once it's had the first use then after that anybody can actually get a license to use that song so the original songwriter or, or publisher cannot stop that process. Now, what actually happens is because there is 
this compulsory licensing system here in the United States, most of the time people do go to the original like uh, rights holder, let's say the publisher, and they'll request a mechanical license and that because they try to negotiate it more often. They don't want to pay the same rates as the sort of compulsory license w- would require. Because so it would be higher. Yeah, they, they, they usually, you know, a lot of record labels want to pay like 75% of the actual like going rate and things mm. like that. So they'll ne- negotiate it. However, if for whatever reason they were unable to get a license or like the, the original license so, uh, rights holder just refused or whatever, mm. they could just go back to, they, they can fall back in the fact that, all right, well, we'll go and get the compulsory license then. Right. Here in the United States, you've got to go to the U.S. Copyright Office to get that and as long as um you, you know you abide by you got to pay the full statutory rate and you've got to do like a fairly regular accounting right. to the original um right sort of the original composition then yeah you can get that so the the reality is what what that actually plays out like in real in you know the real world is yeah you can go and do covers and um you know you you're not gonna no one's gonna be able to stand in your way right unlike samples of compositions like when you're sampling a song or sampling a record you do actually need to go and get permission there's no like compulsory license for that and you know the the actual you might think that's crazy hang on i can like cover the entire song and they can't stop me from doing that but they can stop me from using a 10 second piece of that like that that doesn't stack up what's the logic behind that and the answer is because when you do a cover of someone's song 100% of the royalties that are generated on the the publishing side from the exploitation of your new track so when it's like performance royalties mechanical royalties etc that all goes straight to the original songwriter and their publisher like yeah. you, you don't get any cut of that it's like it's 100% their song you've covered it and as long as you don't go too far within you know there's a little bit of sort of um artistic license to put it into your own style, style. and your own character but you can't vary too much away. no you can't vary and it, and you know any sort of variations doesn't doesn't qualify for copyright protection as a derivative work but that's the reason and if, if you think about it on the other side mm-hmm. If I'm only using 10 seconds of your song uh, in my track, so I'm sampling it and, you know, I've got like a three minute song. Well, now you're into, well, hang on, is it, you know, what do we do with the publishing royalties? Because it's mm. like, you know, like over like 95% of the actual song is like original. what I wrote, original right. and 5%. But then you're coming at me and saying, ah, the, this song... The only reason this song is going to do well is because of my 10 seconds, right? And that's why that's why you're using it because right. if you you know don't use it and basically that's it's a it's a commercial negotiation then to actually figure out the splits and what who's going to own what. So yeah. that's that's kind of uh the sort of underlying rationale behind it. And then is it true that like these different platforms are paying for like a blanket compulsory license which allows you for example to upload a cover of a song onto youtube without you having to go do it go to the copyright office directly to get it yeah well it it gets very complex because each sort of platform is working under its own uh systems that it's internal systems that it uses to regulate that youtube is kind of different but if if we look at spotify for example or any of these sort of like dsp these streaming sites 
yes, part of the the Music Modernization Act um, was the creation of the Mechanical Licensing Collective, mm-hmm. uh, which we've mentioned a few times on this, and I'll say it one more time: if you uh, if you have not registered your songs with the Mechanical Licensing Collective, and you're not already um, you know, uh, have a, a publishing admin deal with maybe like one of your distribution services, like the sort of uh, publishing side of TuneCore or DistroCreator, for example, then you should go on to the Mechanical Licensing Collective and register mm-hmm. your songs there and your details because you you will be owed royalties. Um, but um, yeah, that was, a, that was created to sort of act like a sort of blanket uh, licensing uh, solution for these DSPs and like the likes of Spotify will benefit from that, Apple, Tidal, etc. YouTube, it's slightly different and there'll be a lot of YouTubers who are like very well versed in this. So um, I won't go too far into it other than to say that uh, when you, you know, the whole point in YouTube is user generated content. Right. So this was happening quite a lot. You would upload a video, which is, you know, you and the copyright to the, the actual video, the, rec- the, the sort of recording, the video, audiovisual recording. But then you'd put on like uh, somebody else's song and uh, use it as like a sort of, tr- you know, like it could be background music or whatever. And right. the way YouTube works, it's got its content ID system. And it'll it'll find that song in that video. It'll find it, it'll flag it. And then however that rights holder, let's call it the, the publisher or the record label, has their own individual preferences set up. They get to choose whether to monetize your video. So they're now going to take 100% of the earnings of your video. So you don't get any of it. It doesn't matter how much of the song you used or whatever. Uh, or they can have it taken down. Right. right. And, and then you get like a, a flag, you know, a red flag and it's yeah. like three strikes and you're out type thing. So yeah. a lot of the times, um, because it's like, you know, it d- depends on how egregious the video is, but they'll generally will claim the audio on that video if you're actually using it on YouTube for for any reason. Yeah. And it's a cool trick. I mean, if you don't already know, you can scroll to the bottom of any YouTube video that's using a song and you can see you know, who the publisher is, you can see who the artist is and you can see what the song is. That's often like a, a cool, quick trick to see. Like, for example, if anybody is signed or like, you know, what, you know, what song they're using for this video. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Most, most sort of record labels have got it set to monetize. So that's why, you know, p- people do that uh, and that their videos aren't taken down because, uh, you know, the publisher or the record label, um, yeah. the publisher more often than not will be making the money and just claiming it and they yeah. get the, the revenues from your your video. So yeah. we tackled that. Yeah, well, absolutely. That was a bit of a, a deep dive into it. Like, a, I think that was like a much more of a, like a, it's a very technical episode that, you know, there's a lot of things going on, but look, um, I would just say that, um, yeah, there, there's a, definitely a few takeaways. Like, Khalees uh, feels like quite quite aggrieved of like you know right. the deal. She feels like the deal she signed, or she thought she signed, was not what had been uh, represented to her. And like, you know, I feel for her because like, a lot of artists, like anecdotally, have found themselves in that situation. But right. you know ultimately um it's so important to look at what you're signing and I like i mean it's it sounds like obvious but right. you know would say it like 
be careful what you're signing. Have someone experienced, like hopefully a, a lawyer in the music and entertainment industry, look over it. There are ways to work out prices or fee structures and things like that. Like, don't be afraid of attorneys. They are there. They're used right. to working with lawyers or sorry, artists in your situation. So, yeah, and I think a takeaway from this is, you know, not using this situation as a way to sort of like personally attack any artists involved, but to it's a learning experience. And, you know, I do believe there is a difference between bad business practices and bad business and understanding the difference between those things. You know, there, you know, were you wronged or did you just not have all the information at the time? And that that can mean a lot when it comes to your career, as we see in this example. So use this example, learn from it and don't repeat the same mistakes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, that's um, both Khalees and Beyonce continue to make great music. So, um, yeah. you know, hopefully it's not a saga. It's just a spat and they'll patch it up at some stage. Yeah. Any final thoughts? I don't know. I think that's uh, just about time to. Why don't you let everyone plug everything? <laughs> no, yeah, let, yeah. Let, let everyone know where we're at. And yeah, so you can uh, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook. You can watch our videos on YouTube. You can also listen to the Record Shepherds podcast anywhere where podcasts are played. And if you have any questions, comments, and concerns, email us at therecordshepherds at gmail .com. We're always looking for feedback and looking for different topics to talk about. So. Um, if you are also in New York and you feel like you have something to contribute to the conversation of music, um, feel free to hit us up. You never know when the, when the boys are free, the shepherds are free and, uh, yeah, maybe we can hold a conversation right here on this couch. That would be great. We'd love that. We'd love to hear from you. So until the next exciting episode, continue to follow the guidance of the shepherds. Don't be the sheep. Be, be the, the goat. goat. Thank you. Ooh, turn that AC on. Get that AC on. It is hot.